today. Not sure how that happens, but this is the gospel that I think the Lord has for us today, or at least it's the gospel that I prepared the sermon on. <laughs> this is the one you hear. Generations of preachers and teachers, musicians and poets have seen in today's gospel texts multiple layers of meaning that go beneath the surface. You all know the hymn. We'll sing it in a minute. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. On the surface, the meaning of this story is straightforward. Here's a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. He's reduced to poverty and begging for his food. Of course, he wants to see him. So would we all if we were in his shoes. And then here is Jesus, the healer, like we see in so many other biblical passages, coming to Bartimaeus and healing him from his physical disability. We have seen Jesus do this time and time again. The great New Testament scholar Richard Bauten has drawn our attention to the importance of named witnesses in the Bible. You should pay careful attention whenever you come across a story in the Gospels with a specific name attached to it, like this one. In this case, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. It's very specific. <coughs> Professor Bauten says that this is the Gospel writer's way of letting the readers know who the witnesses are who vouch for the story when he was doing his research. It's sort of like the ancient world's way of saying, well, this is Bart Thompson we're talking about. You all know Bart. He's old now, but he's still around. You can go and ask him the story yourself when you run into him at the grocery store. On one level, you see, this is the story of a real guy, Bart Thompson. Bart Thompson was blind, and now he can see. At the same time, though, it's also a story that has been carefully crafted to have meaning, spiritual meaning on another level. St. Mark puts it right in the center of his gospel, right after the introductory period of Jesus' ministry, and right before he starts to face the stiff resistance that will lead to his trial and death. Bishop Robert Barron says that St. Mark told this story in such a way that it is meant to contain within it something like an itinerary, a picture of the whole spiritual life. Of conversion. As him says, I once was blind, but now I see. Look first with me at where Bartimaeus lives. This is where you can first start to see the meaning of the story. By the way, I have to start calling him Bartimaeus now, because if I call him Bart Thompson, it makes me think of an old guy I used to know in the farm shack drinking coffee in the center station at the gas station in small town, North Dakota. Right now. So, he's not the small town of Dakota, he's from Jericho, so let's call him Bartimaeus. So, if he's from Jericho, for readers of the Bible, what do you first think of? Well, Jericho is the ancient pagan city with the big walls. Remember that? Where God told Joshua and the people of Israel to march around the Ark of the Covenant seven times and blow the trumpet until the walls came to tumble them down, like the old people. That's Jericho. To make us think, you see, not just of big walls, but of 
to keep God out. That's the symbolic meaning of this part of the story. It's, it's, it stands in for the way that the assumptions and habits of the culture that we live in can keep us from seeing God. What do I mean by that? Well, the philosopher Charles Taylor, to be distinguished from Chuck Taylor, who's the basketball shoot, but the philosopher Charles Taylor, in his monumental book, A Secular Age, tells the story of how Western culture went from a place where it was virtually impossible not to believe God to a place now where, for some people, it feels almost impossible to believe God. We all know people like that, right? They might even say, I'd like to have faith, but I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, how did that happen? Well, the book is from Harvard Harvard University Press, and it is literally longer than the Bible. So I am not going to attempt to summarize the story itself right now. Moving on. Suffice it to say, however, that Taylor sees how the shows, how the divisions of the church and the rise of urban, modern, technological life have made it more difficult to see God today in our place and time than in any other place and time in human history. I just want to say a little bit about that. First of all, when the one church, back at the time of the Reformation, split up into what eventually became about a thousand pieces, and started clapping. Well, lots of people understandably threw up their hands and said, I don't know which one is right. How could I know? And anyway, all the Christians seem to do is quarrel and fight with one another. How about we just leave all that religion stuff behind and allow that reason and science instead? That's what a lot of people have said. That's what a lot of people continue to say. Now, longer story, but I don't think that solution has actually worked all that well. But it's still a big part of what keeps people from seeing God today. And when most people then left the countryside and moved to big cities, where it looked like we created everything, right? If you stand in the middle of downtown Dallas, you can hardly see a tree. And then when we started spending all of our time staring at the screens, so that people walk around outside without even looking up at the heavens, or without even looking around to see where they're going and notice other people. Well, it's no wonder that we're blind to God. When we're blind to the creation that we live in and to our own neighbors. I read a story in the New York Times yesterday after I finished this sermon. Uh, there's a story apparently about how parents who work in Silicon Valley um, are actually really, really strict with their kids and restricting screen screen time. Um, so the very people that made all of this don't want their kids to be themselves. You see, in many ways, we, you and I, live in Jericho. Like Bartimaeus, we are so often blind to God's handiwork because the culture in which we live has covered it up. Like Bartimaeus' cloak. Remember the cloak that he threw off? Sort of like we'll cut back Unfortunately, I think you and I are often worse off than Bartimaeus. At least he knew that he was blind. But too often, we walk around in full confidence that we can see everything in living color, except for our mind. That becomes another layer of blindness. What could be worse than thinking that we know it all and see everything clearly when actually you're stumbling around in the That's part of 
But there's another layer of blindness that we all struggle with in one way or another, and that's sin. And it's the blindness caused by sin. Whether it's something that we've done or something that someone else has done to us. Usually sin is an issue of both, right? Someone does something and it hurts us, we do it back to someone else. It's a mess. Maybe there's some experience of a broken relationship in our past that's made it difficult to trust someone. And so what do we do? We lash out and we drive people away before they can abandon us or hurt us. Have you ever seen that dynamic play? It's crazy if we think about it for a second. And we're usually not even aware that that's the kind of thing that we do. That's sin. That's how it works. We're blind. It blinds us with these kinds of ridiculous patterns. The things that we do that make no sense, that we keep repeating without even knowing what we're doing. And sin, as Mother Emily and I often say, is addictive. Sin is sort of like a drug where on the label one of the side effects listed is blindness. We start to fall in love, let's say, with money or status for its own sake. Stewardship season is coming out we keep on buying newer cars or bigger houses far beyond anything we need. We don't even notice how ridiculous it is for there to be entire neighborhoods full of houses as big as Downton Abbey, and then other neighborhoods where working men and women parents can't even find safe places for their children to play outside. It's ridiculous. We stop seeing it. We start to fall in love with, with being right and winning victory over the other political party at whatever cost. And we don't even notice the absurd and cruel and false things that start to come out of our minds. We don't even notice it. We're blind. That's how sin works. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to convince someone that they're wrong or ignorant about something that's an obvious blind spot for them? I've had that experience. They just won't listen to reason. They won't see reason, you say. Have you ever thought that you probably have your own blind spot that everybody else would see except you? Probably true problems. A blindness. Bartimaeus, you see, is far ahead of most of us because he knows that he is blind. That's how far ahead of us he is. He knows that he is blind. We think that we can see, but he at least knows that his eyes need to be opened. And so he cries out to the Lord, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. Have mercy. These are words that are so central to the gospel that we quote Bartimaeus, you might say, every Sunday in our worship. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Bartimaeus is crying out, saying, Help me, Lord. Forgive me. I'm looking for something more meaningful than the life I've been living. I'm looking for a way to be free from my past, from the burdens I don't know how to bear, and the sins that I can't seem to shame. I'm so blind that I've forgotten what it would even look like to see. But here I am. Just as I am, without one plea, except that my Savior died for me. 
See, that's why the story is at the heart, the center of St. Mark's Gospel. It's because it's at the center of the Gospel of Christ itself. This is the cry that Jesus hears. He answers Bartimaeus by all the people in the crowd. You, imagine, you have to imagine there were hundreds of them all along him. And who did he hear? Bartimaeus. And it says, call him here. Bartimaeus throws off his cloak and he goes over to Jesus. I have to imagine that there was someone taking him by the arm and leading him there because he was blind. And Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? He want me to do for you? It's a great question, isn't it? If we put ourselves in his shoes, what would we say? Well, I think it's obvious, right? That if we were blind, we'd ask to see again, but what would we do? You see, being blind, the blind thoughts that we put out can be more comfortable than the alternative. That's why we're blind to certain things in our lives. We're blind to things that we don't want to see, either by ourselves or about the world that we live in. How would I live with myself if, dot, dot, dot? Who would I even be if I were wrong about it? Or what if I had to admit that they're right? And what would I have to give up if I really followed Jesus? I really gave him my whole life. Love for 